Hello, everyone, and welcome to Meet the Masters. I'm your host, Robert Allen. This Meet the Masters is a special on-location Meet the Masters. We were, uh, last night, invited to the grand opening celebration of the New York showroom for classic party rentals, and our friend and colleague, Nancy Sweezy, um, was uh, nice enough to invite us and to be a part of the event and to experience it. And uh, it was really a fabulous, fabulous event. I uh, had a great time and uh, spoke to lots of really fabulous people at the event. Uh, uh, really some, some top uh, chefs, uh, caterers, floral decor designers, and... Um, we had a chance to speak to them, and uh, and they've shared some great information, and we're very excited about uh, doing this Meet the Masters on location for you. Um, I got a chance to meet so many great people last night and uh, and speak to them, and uh, Classic Party Rentals, uh, really uh, a great crew there, and uh, had a chance to to meet Michael Miner, who's the vice president of marketing uh, for the company, and we got to chat a bit. and um, And I was asking him to talk a little bit about uh, his, you know, philosophy in the world of events. When I first entered this industry, somebody mentioned to me that if we do our jobs right, we create memories that last a lifetime. And sometimes that's a, a backyard party of 30 people, but it's somebody's 65th wedding anniversary. And you know, when you put that in scale, it, it sounds great that, oh, your company does the Emmys and you do the Oscars, but you know what, to, that, to those people that just had that 30-person party, that's the most important event of their life, and that, if, that's got to count to us just as much as it does to them. So it's really not about size and scale. It's actually about doing it right, no matter how big or small the event may be in terms of equipment. What would be your best advice? You know, if someone is, is trying to decide whether they want to, you know, let's take a wedding, okay? If they want to walk into a hotel and have everything done for them versus having that intimate at-home party, what's your recommendation when someone's trying to make that decision? I think the person should think of it, typically this is the bride, and they're going to make a decision based, hopefully, on their own feelings. If they feel that it should be a very intimate setting, and they want to do it somewhere familiar, and they, you know there, there's a draw to them, and that's where they're going to be most comfortable, right? I mean, you want, it, you want those photographs taken at a place where you feel great. And um, there are other brides that are just born to shine, and they want it to be a large event at an important venue and they want to know the caterers taking care of everything because all they want to do is 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 that be the day they've waited for their whole life so our our, our little role in that is to make sure everything runs smoothly thanks michael uh it really was a fabulous event and and here's what they did it was really kind of neat they had um the top uh designers chefs come in and utilize all of the uh, the the great items that classic party rentals has from from chairs and tables different sizes um, candle holders uh, beautiful china and 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 uh, serving pieces really fabulous and and so the designers had the opportunity to to kind of go into this this vast inventory and create different table settings, floral centerpieces, utilizing all of the great tools that 
um, classic party rentals has available to them. And one of the designers that was uh, participating was David Tutera. And, and those of you in the wedding world know David. He's uh, really a force, been in the business for over 20 years. Um, w- one of the, the real uh, trendsetters in terms of of design and weddings. He's all over television um, on all of the wedding shows. I, I was just watching one the other night and a really great guy. And, um, and I asked David about the table that he designed for this event. The table's called Enchanted Garden. It's a little bit whimsical. It has uh, some great texture between the soft floral and the soft greens and the whites and the cream and a little bit of orange. And uh, it's got twigs, curly willow, grapevine, uh, bleeding amaranthus. So it has the sophistication of being elegant, but the textures of being a little bit more whimsical at the same time. And then the linen is a two-tone green, uh, which has a beautiful olive underlay. It's a satin olive underlay with a sheer organza with some beading through it. So the, the thing that I really like to capture when I design any table of any size or theme is texture, color, texture, which brings out a personality. Now, are, are you seeing a trend towards um, a, a variety of tables in a room? You know, it used to be you would walk into a room and you'd have 20 round tables or, you know, you wouldn't even see squares or, or longs. Are we moving away from that traditional shape of a table? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I can remember being in the business now 23 years is that, you know, the cookie cutter all round was sort of just the formula that everybody went with. But now, at least the past, I'd like to say I started this concept about 10 years ago, but the past five years has become truly um, a trend to follow. And the eclecticness of round tables, square tables, long tables, double, triple long tables, what that does is a variety of things. It creates sort of a movement to the eye um, so that a collective feeling is more creative. But at the same time, what I try to tell people is that if you've got 200, 300, 400 people at a party and you've got a variety of different tables, the goal of that is is that the 10 people seated at that one table feel like they're seated at their own intimate dining room, which creates an individual experience. So it serves a lot of um, objectives and it really creates... I think a lot of personality to that particular person's party. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that I think the dynamic changes a bit. Uh, it, it it doesn't feel like a banquet anymore. It feels like an experience, like if you were dining in a restaurant. That's right. And you know, your keyword that you just said is experience. And I tell every client, no matter what kind of party that they're throwing, specifically weddings, a wedding has to tell a story. A wedding has to have an experience. And the experience and the story are weaved together. And what that all is, is about the, the, the bride and the groom and the families. And you can do that through design. You can through, do it through entertainment. You can do it through every element of that wedding. It needs to be different because everyone wants their wedding to be an experience. And that's exactly what you just said. What's going to be your favorite color this season? I'm going towards lavender and deep quartz purple with a little infusion of copper. Now, copper and the metallics have been in, but I think that's really going to be a hot color trend to follow. Great. David, thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you. You know, it's just amazing to see the, uh, the you know, what comes out of uh, people like David Tudera who are just, you know, geniuses in their own right in terms of, of how they they create uh, the magic that they do. Um, I got to meet someone who, who I hadn't met before, uh, someone by the name of Tess Casey, who is uh, really wonderful. Um, Aisling Studios. Uh, she does uh, beautiful design, and she actually did three tables 
at the event, uh, all very different, uh, really beautiful. And uh, I got a chance to chat with Tess, and she um, she also does a lot of television and film, and, and she talks a, a little bit about that as well. But uh, she describes her tables to us and really just magnificent stuff. Well, I got the fabrics, and I took a look at the colors. The first one is a very neutral, natural colors and in taupes and browns and I thought it should be very organic so I put uh, on the center of the table a twig vase and out of that I worked some very natural like slipper orchids and um, sedums and very taupes and browns and very neutral colors I was um, given the instructions to make it sort of manly but I put some roses in there too but they're, they're very uh, faded lavender rose called Mystique. So they're not um, like a bright red or pink rose. And the second uh, table is a green and cream uh, fabric. So it's a lime green with a very kind of a golden kind of cream, I guess. And I just did a very simple take on that with cream and green uh, roses. And then I put a little bit of jewels, and then on the very top I have uh, fiddle ferns. And there's a lot of gold accents in that, and that's why I have gold jewels and gold votives. And then on the third table, I use, it's a black and white fabric with lime green runners and black table black chairs. So we wanted to do something very uh, crisp and shocking. So I used um, the base of it are black wood twig, painted twig vases. And on top of that are green bananas and uh, lime green uh, cymbidium orchids with black twig metal branches. You could say that this arrangement is actually green because you can eat the... Um, bananas <laughs> and it's recycled metal and it's uh, wood that would have been thrown out that's been recycled into purpose repurposed into vases and um, there is um, artichokes so it's an edible arrangement somewhat might be bitter but it's edible um, and they're the three tables now you know what you described there are some more common flowers and there are elements that you wouldn't necessarily find in a centerpiece and you just described this last one being green is that the trend now for these these additional pieces and centerpieces that would be more green or has that always been the case have you always created with more unusual uh, elements to your centerpieces well, I've always created more unusual um, arrangements. I, I always try to think outside the box. Um, I'm always looking for containers that are not necessarily normal people would see them as vases. I look at them and see how I could work them in with my product. Um, my work is very custom made. There's no, I never really recreate arrangements, um, so there's always like an element of surprise. But I am seeing the trend the, uh, for the last year and a half is going towards green products, which means usually uh, within 100 miles. So I try and use local, floor, local flower growers in Jersey. Or, In fact, I did an event for the Clinton Global Initiative, and we used upstate apples in um, uh, 
visas that came from Honduras from a micro-funded um, uh, farm there. And all the apples we actually donated afterwards to City Harvest. So in that aspect, it was green um, as regards of having edible, supporting local farmers, and repurposing the product afterwards. Now, we were talking before we started to record that uh, you work on some uh, television, some film. You just got done uh, with a project. Why don't you talk about that? I uh, just got done with Sex and the City, the movie, which is coming out May 30th. Um, I did a lot of the work for that, including wedding work. Um, in that, it was a very fun project to work on. But when I work on movies, I also did uh, other movies like Accidental Husband and uh, Devil Wears Prada and Hoax and... I did some work in uh, Maid of Honor that just came out. But in uh, Sex and the City, I had to use one of the wedding bouquets. I can't tell you who it was, but I'm sure you saw it on the, uh, all the newspapers. Uh, I had to use it as a prop. So we designed the wedding bouquet around the fact that Carrie was going to hit big with the bouquet. So I made a bouquet, and the dre Carrie's dress is Vivian Westwood, so it's a very deconstructed bouquet, but it looks like a type, a bunch of flowers. But I used the flowers... I use garden roses from California, which shatter on impact. I use, no, there's no wiring. All the thorns had to be taken off. And inside of the bokeh had to be hollow. So it, when it was smashed at a right angle, it literally shattered. And I did get to see it. Uh, Michael Patrick King was very good to let me see it on the playback, and I saw it in slow motion. I must say it was very effective. Um, that day, I actually made 50 bokehs because we had a lot of takes. So... After uh, working on that project, I never want to make one of those bouquets again because I had to make 50 that day and I had to make another 10 another day and another 10 another day. So it was fun. Now, what would you recommend for a couple who's just starting the search for a floral designer for their wedding? What should be the first step that they take? I think um, you should really go and interview different people because you might not... First of all, there's price, budget... But you really have to like the person that you're working with, and you have. I try and become a listener with all my clients and see what they because it's not my wedding. Um, so you really need to look for a planner or a designer who is going to listen to what your thoughts are and give their expertise. So if you're just starting off, I think the best thing to do is do some research. Go onto magazines, look through magazines, talk to your friends, go to your local florist. Take a trip. If you live in Manhattan, take a trip down to the flower market and see what's available. And uh, also think about the season that you're going to get um, married in because you, what you might see today might not be suitable if you're getting married in the middle of winter. And I also think it's nice to try and think of being, um, uh, in this day and age, of being a little green too. So if you can do that aspect somewhat, whether it's in uh, the linens that you use, are the flowers that you use, or even repurposing those flowers afterwards. There's a wonderful foundation called the Flower Power Foundation, which will actually come to your wedding and take your flowers, redo them, and send them to hospitals and nursing homes afterwards. I have worked with them, and I'm working with them on a future project, so think of things like that. We'll have links to uh, to all of the um, the participants in the show uh, today, as well as uh, anything that we talk about. So make sure you check our website, WeddingPodcastNetwork.com. Check for the show notes for this uh, special Meet the Masters on location and 
uh, we'll have those links in there. So thanks, Tess, for all of that and sharing your your stories. Um, she had more that we shared off the air um, about uh, all of the, the TV and the film that uh, that she's worked on. Uh, speaking of celebrity, uh, we got to talk to Ed Libby, and Ed uh, is a an amazing designer. Um, he was nice enough to stop by and, and reading his list of, of celebrity clients that he's worked with, everyone from, from P. Diddy and Naomi Campbell, Usher, Kamara Lee Simmons, uh, Robert De Niro, uh, Tyra Banks, just the list goes on and on and uh, uh, really fabulous uh, stuff. And, and he was able to stop by with us and talk a little bit about uh, what he designed for this event. Uh, we did two tables tonight using a lot of their new products. One is called Tsarina. It's a real classic Russian look, kind of really over-the-top opulent, great for the modern-day bride in the New York ballrooms. And the other one is called the Bling Table. It's for all sequins, um, some of these really beautiful new sparkly dishes they have. It's um, spherical stainless steel balls and like really modern ingredients, a beautiful look for a New York loft. When you're working with couples for a wedding, are they, you know, when you suggest things that they might not expect for table design or floral design, are they easy to convince to, to take a chance or do brides, you think, kind of hold back a little bit? What do you see? I think the most important thing about being a good designer is really listening to the bride and then kind of channeling her inner designer. Um, I really try to design things for people that are a great reflection of their personality and my work at the same time. So it's really about marrying like their design and my expertise together and creating something that's a fantasy for them. What's your favorite color to work with this year? This year it's all about yellow. Yellow is like the new white as far as weddings go and we've designed maybe like three or four of our signature weddings this year in, in yellow and a lot of our great stuff for the spring as well. People are really responding to fresh, happy colors right now. If you had to give just one piece of advice to a couple who is just starting out and planning their decor for their wedding, what would it be? I think the most important thing for a couple is to find a designer who they're really in sync with, who's going to listen to their ideas and really interpret their vision for the event. And then the whole thing is a fun process and a celebration and not a battle. That's really fabulous advice. Uh, thank you to all of the designers who stopped by and chatted with us. When you got up into the party last time, when you got off the elevator into this, this great loft space, uh, you could smell the food. Uh, the chefs and caterers who were there, you know, showing off, really, I mean, creating some amazing food uh, there. It just kind of hit you as soon as you walked in the door. And, uh, and of course, we got a chance to speak with some of those chefs. And uh, uh, I met Thomas Preddy, uh, who was there. And sometimes, you know, when you meet someone, you know immediately that they're so incredibly passionate about what they do. And uh, Thomas is one of those people, as soon as you shake his hand, you can feel his energy. And, uh, and I got a chance to taste his food, and, and he'll talk about that. But uh, really great guy. Uh, uh, Thomas Preddy stopped by to talk about uh, some of what uh, uh, he's seeing in trends and what he's created for uh, for the event. What I created tonight was when Classic approached us and asked us to be part of the event, they, they said they want to show their products. So I thought about doing a study of, of what their product line is, and that's why I developed the bookshelves the way I did. And on one side of the bookshelves, my chefs are making every item individually little tasting plates. And they're putting them in the shelves. 
and the guests are coming and taking the items off on the other side. And the, in between that are all Classic's newest product line. So people get to see the product, they see them on the plates, and people are having a ball. If you go over there, it's packed. <laughs> a little bit like the uh, the old Automat, huh? Thank you. It's exactly like the Automat. And that's, and that's where I got it from. It's, it's spectacular. That's a great idea. So talk a little bit about some of the food. Okay, what we have tonight is we have a duck ravioli with a duck consomme. We have a black cod on a white bean puree. with, with It sits in a truffle soup. We're doing a lot of little different individual desserts I call the sweet shop. And then we're doing a butternut squash gnocchi with, with wild mushrooms, local mushrooms, and we're doing a lot of local organic food lately. And you know what? It's not as intimidating as it sounds. I'm happier doing it. It's a better product, and it's coming out great. Now, does that affect when you're putting together a menu, like dealing locally? Are you limited to, to what you can use in a, a certain season? Yes, How without does that a doubt. The menu? But you know what? Yes, without a doubt. But there's nothing wrong with working with, in Italy or where my family's from, if you can't reach it with your hand, why are you eating it? Why importing it? And you know what? I'm starting to learn that. And I'm starting to feel that it doesn't have to be flown in. It could be what's local, because that's what's delicious and fresh. And it's, it takes a while. We've we got to retool the machine to think like that. But I think the brides are very tuned into it. I really do. I, I think that they're the ones more than these big corporation parties. I think the brides are into the whole organic green, what's good for the whole, the whole sustainable thing. And, and you know what? Once we get the whole concept here, I think it'll, it's going to catch on all the way around. I just hosted a, a trip. It just ended this morning with 35 chefs from around the world. And they were here in Manhattan for the week. And I started with the obvious, Lower East Side, and we worked our way into organic, sustainable farming up at, up at uh, Dan Barber's Blue Hill at uh, Stone Barns last night. So people got to see where we came from and where we're heading. And I think that's what I wanted the experience to be like. And I, and I think you can do that at a wedding as much because the, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a certain item. Unless they want it, we can do that. But otherwise, I think the, the idea is do something local. Especially this time of year, my God. Union Square Market is starting to pop with all the good stuff. I mean, it, it's spectacular. And I think couples would make choices where they can do that, and it's not such a big deal. It's not a big deal. You're better off. Everything we ate last night at Dan Barber's place was from that farm. He didn't reach further than that to get anything. And we didn't sacrifice a thing. It was spectacular. Are you getting hungry? Uh, man, it was just amazing food last night. So, so here's, here's what I taste. Well, first, you know, as he was talking about, there was this kind of wall of shelves and, and about 12 inches square by about maybe nine inches deep, nine or 10 inches deep. And the plates kept coming out into the little squares. And I don't know if anyone remembers or is familiar with the automat, but the automat was kind of this place you went into and um, kind of a cafeteria style restaurant, but you went up to these little windows and behind these little windows was a sandwich or, or a, a plate with food on it, a, a piece of apple pie. And you would go in, you put your money in, into the slot and turn a knob and open the, the little door and you'd take out your sandwich or whatever was in there, your apple or your banana. And uh, so that was the automat and it's no longer... But this whole style was great. So the food, I tasted the uh, the black cod with the bean puree, which was fa just fabulous, served in a little white bowl. 
really delicious. Um, I also had the butternut squash gnocchi, which was just fabulous. I mean, my gosh, uh, you know, two, two nice size gnocchi on a plate, uh, perfect kind of tasting. Um, I didn't taste the duck ravioli, but I did have some of the little desserts, which were all served in these little kind of shot glass type glasses and, uh, really layered nicely, very pretty and very delicious. Um, uh, you know, so really, really fabulous stuff. And, and Thomas is a great guy. And as you can hear, uh, in his voice, so I was happy to, to meet him and even happier to taste his food. So thank you, chef. I appreciate that. Your food was absolutely delicious. Speaking of delicious food, Kelvin book from Canard Inc. Stopped by to chat with us. And I had asked him about some current wedding trends. It's sort of like a skirt links. Uh, you can wear mini skirts, uh, um, calf length and floor length, and it's sort of the same thing in food. Anything goes these days. Uh, it's a time when you can really put a personal stamp on your wedding. So we're finding simple comfort foods, we're finding high-end elegant foods, and we're finding everything in between. If I had to point to one trend that I'm seeing coming, um, it's it's a move a bit away from the comfort food and a little more toward anything to give it a twist and make it a little more special. So it might be very recognizable foods, but something with a twist, something you haven't seen before. So uh, even vegetables cut in a different way, uh, prepared in a different way, but definitely something that's recognizable, something that your guests are going to uh, feel is uh, appetizing and compelling, but is going to look surprising and appetizing. What are some of the things that you're serving here tonight? Um, tonight we're doing Peking duck, and we're doing a um, what's called spherification with a specialty cocktail. We're calling it a, a golden dragon, but it's actually a fruit and vodka cocktail and uh, chemically altering juices. And tonight we're using pomegranate juice, and by mixing it with chemicals, we're able to turn it into beads. And these beads float in the cocktail. And uh, when you bite into them, it's sort of a burst of pomegranate juice. Uh, again, it's recognizable, but it's surprising. Now, in talking about you know cocktails, you know that's become so big now. You know there are you know making of cocktails and naming of cocktails. What's your thoughts on on a couple who's having a wedding, maybe doing a signature cocktail for their wedding? Absolutely. You know that's been the trend for a couple of years now and I don't see that going away at all. If anything, it's becoming uh, sort of a staple and it's not really a trend anymore. I think it's here to stay. What I do see happening with that is that people are again like, like the food, they're matching it up, they're making it become part of their wedding, they're uh, making it something that's very special and unique to themselves. It might be a cocktail that they once had when they first met. It might be a cocktail that they had when they were first traveling together. Or it might be a combination of several things, and we can work with them to marry several aspects together to make their very own cocktail. The, uh, the Peking Duck was just, it was great. It was just the right crispness. It wasn't too sweet. Uh, just, oh my gosh, it was so good. And then, of course, I had to try the Golden Dragon, which I have to say was a very fragrant drink. You know, once you brought it near your face, it was, you could, you, you kind of smelled all of these great 
uh, smells. Maybe it's from this spherification that they do, but they were these little beads, these red beads that were floating in this golden liquid. And when you drank it, you would get a few of these beads in your mouth. And, and as you swallowed, you'd feel them kind of burst in your mouth and you would then taste the, the flavor of the pomegranate. So it was really very, very cool. But, uh, oh man, I can go for one of those golden dragons right now. Um, next up was Olivier Chang, who, um, really great and, and actually have had a chance to, uh, to be at weddings in which Olivier was, uh, was providing the food and, um, it was really just uh, a great opportunity for me to now sample uh, some of what he was uh, was making, and really great stuff. Wait till uh, wait till you hear uh, this. Your your, and then when we come back, I'll, I'll talk about how it all tasted. Tonight we did a couple of things. We decided to do a few twists on things that were a little unusual. We did a um, a foie gras tasting plate, which is basically a foie gras macaroon a foie gras truffle, and a foie gras creme brulee doing a take on savory and sweet, but it's really savory. We did a station we called the Naked Salmon Station, which is basically dress your own salmon. So you take a piece of very, very uh, slow-cooked salmon, and you add about, I think it's six or seven really kind of unique things you wouldn't think of marrying to it, like a violet mustard and things like that. And we also did a liquid nitrogen station. We did it, one was with passion fruit, and one was doing a white Russian fritter, which is mixed with liquid nitrogen, which actually, when you open, you put it in your mouth and you actually eat it, your whole mouth just kind of gets a smoke effect. Very cool, actually. So food is starting to become more of an experience than just eating. I think that when, either in weddings or in social events, people a lot of times look for food to be more interactive. And food becomes more of an element of decor to some degree or something to talk about, whether you're doing family-style meals, which we do a lot of, or doing stations where there's something that's a little more interactive than going just picking up a plate of food. Do you think that it's more of a challenge now that people are so food-savvy that, you know, people eat out a lot and they're, they're harder to impress? Do you find that to be more of a challenge now, or does it become easier because you can be more creative? I think that it's easier because it makes you become more creative and lets you allows you to, to open people up to new ideas they wouldn't normally be allowed to do. I think it hurts people that don't that just want to do the common route of just catering and just do it, you know, close my eyes and just sell the same thing to everybody else. I think for those people, they might get left in the dust a little bit by it and become in the New York market I think it's important to be up on what's happening. What's your thoughts on cocktail receptions for a wedding. No sit down, but, you know, lots, you know, experience you know, kind of like what we're seeing tonight. What's your thoughts on that? I'm not a big fan of just doing a cocktail reception style for a wedding. I think they, be, they don't really have a beginning, middle, or end. And I think they tend to sort of become one big... There has to be something that raises it in certain steps. And I think the food can do that. And I like evolving the food as it goes on. And I like there being a moment where everyone's together, and I think that a cocktail party loses that moment entirely. Well, on that note, I mean, I'm seeing a lot now where brides and grooms are wanting to have their guests experience dinner, much the way they would in a restaurant, where it's not that up and down dancing between courses. Are you seeing that? I agree with you. And people, when they do that, they also want quality cuisine. Looking for food that's really high quality when they do that, they want a restaurant quality experience. I think you're seeing now, you, I guess in New York particularly, you're seeing much more um, 
savvy brides and grooms that know food, that go out all the time, their friends go out, and you just can't put rubber chicken in front of them. And they're willing to try, like we're doing a wedding upcoming soon, we're serving um, a pork belly for one of the appetizers, for example. Would you have done that three years ago? Probably not. So here's, here's some very cool stuff. First of all, the foie gras. I'm not a fan of foie gras. Um, I have had it. I just don't love it. So I looked at it, and I have to tell you, it was very popular. Everyone was was eating it. But the way it was served was on this uh, rectangular plate, white plate, that had kind of uh, three uh, dishes in one dish. So it was separated into three areas. And he had the, th- the three different... Uh, types of foie gras uh, in there, and the, the creme brulee foie gras was served in uh, one of those uh, spoons that you would sometimes uh, get uh, miso soup in a Japanese restaurant, served in those kind of white spoons. So there were all that, and it was, of course, all bite sized. But here's what I did eat really fabulous the naked salmon. What a great idea! First of all, uh, uh, small, maybe three-inch squares of salmon um, was then plated on on a similar rectangular plate, but not a separated rectangular plate. And all of these really cool condiments that uh, you had a little spoonful of. There was a uh, a pickled root vegetable of some kind. There was a jelly um, condiment um, there. There was a, a powdered chorizo. Uh, which made it spicy, and there was some spinach puree and an aioli that was added, and then these pepper threads were put on top. So delicious. I mean, the salmon, I don't know the cooking method. It it almost didn't look cooked. It almost looked like sushi, uh, and it was just fork tender. You could just, it was just great. Uh, and then the nitrogen station, what a cool idea. The nitrogen station, they had these canisters of liquid nitrogen, and they were pouring them into these bowls. So there was a bowl in the center, and then the the server was taking a little spoon-sized scoop of of a um, a mixture. It almost looked like mousse of some kind. And this, the one I tasted, was white Russian. And they took a little spoonful and placed it into the liquid nitrogen for maybe 20 or 30 seconds. And then she lifted it out with a slotted spoon, and there was a little nugget frozen solid nugget of this mousse and you popped it in your mouth and it like instantly melted and became this this soft mousse again uh, very cold and that liquid nitrogen comes out of your mouth in a puff of smoke and it was just so cool and it tasted just like a white russian uh it was really just absolutely delicious and and totally interactive just like uh, Olivier uh said so thank you to all of the chefs uh that uh, that cooked uh last night it was just uh really delicious stuff and very uh, beautiful to look at presentation uh utilizing all of the the dishes and the serving pieces from uh, classic party rentals it was just really great um Finally, I got to speak with uh, Roberta Karsh, who was uh, responsible for the table linens. And really, um, uh, her company's Resource One, Inc. And again, we'll have links on our website, Wedding Podcast Network. 
com in the show notes for all of the things that, that we're talking about today. But uh, so she made all of these table linens and it wasn't just, um, you know, your typical linens by any stretch. And one of the things that I noticed was that Roberta used some very unusual objects in uh, in the design of these tables with uh, with the linens. Metal pieces, uh, chain link pieces, um Hammered pieces, leather pieces, full leather, of course. We never use animal products, ever. And we try to incorporate them with natural products, like uh, a heavy linen that's backed to give it weight so the finished product will hang correctly. Um, we do a lot of um, decorative finished pieces for our items, like uh, weltings and buttons, fur accents, again, faux fur, of course. Um, and it's it's interesting because I'm such an animal advocate. Even though we use full fur, if there's a fur that really looks too authentic, I won't use it. It's it, it's troubling to me. So we we opt to find something that really looks full. So you get the concept, but it's not the real thing because I, I don't like that. I don't like that. But we like to bring the whimsical into the picture and the unexpected and cutting edge. And we're very much about color. So that's, that's all we do is try to bring that, that element of the unexpected and different and be um, uh, unique at the same time. So um, I think we accomplished it. We're thrilled to be here. I want to thank uh, all of our masters on this special edition, Meet the Masters on Location. Uh, David Tutera, Tess Casey, Ed Libby, Thomas Preddy, Kelvin Book, Olivier Chang, and of course, Roberta Karsh. Uh, thank you all for being a part of this. And I want to thank Michael Miner and uh, his staff at Classic Party Rentals for throwing a great party last night and for, uh, for letting us all uh, take a look at, at all of the great things that they do. And a special thank you to, uh, to our friend and colleague, Nancy Sweezy, who was instrumental in having us in and part of this. Um, as always, we try to bring you the very best in information on wedding planning. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, some suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. It's our favorite thing to get feedback on our shows. Uh, our email address is feedback at the WPN.com. That's feedback at T-H-E WPN.com, or you can call our listener hotline, which is 800-882-1259. Don't forget to visit our website, weddingpodcastnetwork.com, to check out all of our links to our blogs, to our advertisers on the Marketplace page. We encourage you to support them. They're what keep us on the air, bringing you podcasts. Uh, This has been a special edition Meet the Masters on location at the Classic Party Rentals opening event in their New York location. I'm Robert Allen, and we'll see you next time.